0: You can be seated. Thank y'all so much. Thank you, brother. I'm going to steal your stand here. Good stuff. Listen, I I just want to say this. It is so good. Cameron, uh, you and Robbie and Jenna and Zach and even JD with his nice hair flow. I just want to say I praise the Lord for y'all. Can we give God a praise just for them? Come on. Come on. You give a better praise than that. Come on. I mean... i just tell you, it's just such a blessing. I just wish I had that talent. I don't. You know, we have so much victory in the Lord. Do you know that? Do you know how much victory we have in Jesus? I mean, we are more than conquerors, the Bible says. We are more than conquerors. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not death, not life, not angels, not principalities. Nothing can separate us from Jesus. There's absolutely nothing. There's so many victories. Jesus has defeated every foe, even the last foe that is death. It isn't that good news that even though one day that all of us, unless Jesus comes back before we die, we will walk through the valley, the shadow of death, that we will not face death without hope. Isn't that good? Uh, I guess three people are excited about it. Okay. So yeah, I mean, maybe it is a little bit more, but I want to say this as a believer, there is one battle that we still have to fight. And that's what I want to enter into this whole series. Do you know that there's one battle that God asks us to fight? We still have to fight. Look, I know that Satan has been crushed underneath Jesus' feet, and then, then Paul says prophetically in Romans that Satan will be crushed underneath our feet, because when you walk on a defeated foe, the defeated foe cannot keep you down. But there's one battle that we have to fight, and here's why it's so important that we got to move into this. Listen, our, all of our lives, pretty much all of us in this room is getting ready to accelerate. you got the new school year getting ready to start. You got, uh, if you've got uh, family members that are going back to school or friends or some of you going to school, everything's accelerating. But there's one thing that we're going to have to do as believers that we have to fight each and every day. And God's Word talks about it. In fact, Paul even said it. He said, fight the good fight. Any guesses? Of what? Faith. Do you know that there's a battle? We have a battle that we have to fight and there's a faith battle. You and I are going to have to fight to believe God in circumstances where there seems to be no way. We're going to have to fight to believe when things happen. We're going to have to fight to believe consistently that God God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Paul said I have fought the good fight of faith. There is a battle and prayer I like what John Piper says. Prayer is just not some nice congenial thing that we do as we get on our knees. Prayer is a wartime walkie talkie where we spend time with God fighting for our faith and you know what I love about y'all you're fighters now look let's just go ahead and let's put off all our airs let's tell the truth shame the devil you guys are so awesome and you know I would hang with y'all I would hang with y'all outside of Jesus because when we were at the parties together, y'all were the first person that was pushing somebody down or breaking something. I know who you are, right? Y'all the first one getting loud and getting crazy. Y'all know who you are. Get a little bit of liquid courage. Everything changes a little bit, doesn't it? That was funny and you could have laughed. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is, is that you're a fighter. You know you're a fighter. You, You wouldn't even be here you would be in some other uh, local church. You, you're a fighter. You, you want to fight. It's in you. God has wired us that way. Some of us like to fight for the people that, that are broken and nobody can have, ha- fight for. I mean, we become the voice of those people. And we're the ones that stand up for other people when nobody else stands up. It's within you to fight. That's who you are. That's how God made us. And that's a good thing. Don't be ashamed of it. Embrace it because we're going to need it to fight for our faith. So there was a king in Judah. Israel was this great country. It was under King David that they had become uh, such a world power because of David was a brilliant, brilliant warrior. And then David had all these sons, but this one son Solomon was was a wise son. In fact, the Bible says he was the wisest in all the earth. And so, in the 900s BC, Solomon becomes king of all of Israel. And there's peace. And whenever there's peace, you can build. And so he would build, and he would build, and he would build, and he, he built this beautiful structure that's called the temple that was dedicated to the Lord, that would house the very presence, and there was a mercy seat. He builds his big old palace. He go, he's just building all these military structures outside and, and creating a huge commerce, and the commerce was so large that people would come from all over. Even the Queen of Sheba would come, all the way down the, from Africa, and just all these areas, just to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon. But then what happened, Solomon's son was not right with the Lord in the sense that he listened to the Lord, and so the the Israel split to a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. There was a split, there was a divide, ten tribes moved to the northern kingdom called Israel, and then the, the two tribes that remain were Judah and Benjamin, and Benjamin is kind of absorbed within Judah. And there began to be war between those two, and, and God began to say, you are not right with me, you're drifting away and you're becoming like the people that used to be in the promised land. In fact, you're becoming so bad, specifically the first kingdom, the northern kingdom, they're called the kingdom of Israel, they had gotten so bad that about 722 BC, God takes the Assyrians, which is modern day Iraq. And he brings them over in Iran, and he he takes those people away off the promised land. But around 733 BC, when the southern kingdom, Judah and and Israel were kind of going at it a little bit, there's this battle getting ready to take place. And Israel does not know within 11 years they're getting ready to be wiped out. Oh no, God had been telling them that you are. He sent prophets. He sent prophets, and he sent prophets, and they wouldn't listen. And so all of a sudden, the northern kingdom is going to partner with this other kingdom. And they said, we're going to take over Judah. We're going to take over the southern kingdom. Why? We're going to destroy their king. We're going to put a king in their place who will listen to us and who will raise up with us. So now, the prophet Isaiah comes to the king of Judah. And he's going to give him a word from God. And he's going to say, listen, be encouraged Be encouraged. I know you're scared. I know you're you're, you're ready to run. I know you you can't keep calm. I know you're worried. But I want you to know that God is going to save the day. And this king of Judah had just come out of two defeats. He He had had two big blows in his life. And so here comes this prophet, this Isaiah this man of God, and he says, no, these two kingdoms that you're getting ready to fight, man, God is going to take care of it. So let's look into his word. Let's pick up right where the prophet Isaiah is speaking to this king to battle unbelief, to use John Piper's title of his book, battle unbelief. We're going to battle unbelief today. Isaiah chapter seven, verse one, when Ahaz Son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, which, who was a great king in Judah, was king of Judah. King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramayah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. So they come outside of Jerusalem and they're beginning to lay siege. What that means is they're stopping up all their water. They're stopping up all trade. They're stopping up anybody going in and out of the city. They're blocking it off, and they're trying to freeze them out. They're trying to snuff them out. They're trying to make it where they can't get food, and they get so hungry, and they get so desperate that they just cave in. So here you have the king of Aram, and you have the king of Israel. Aram, this wicked nation. And they partner together to take over the southern kingdom, of Judah. The king is afraid. I love it. It says the king of Israel marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. That's just a a tribe that was in the northern kingdom of Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind, they're scared, they're terrified, they're nervous, they can't sleep at night, they don't know what to expect, uh, what's next. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, this wonderful prophet, this great man of God, go out, you and your son, Sheer Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Verse four. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramayah, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramayah's son have plotted your ruin, saying... Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. So they already had in mind this guy named Tabil who they were going to put as king of Judah. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. Ooh, and it gets real good. It will not take place, it will not happen. Notice God is repeating himself must be a strong word for the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only resin within 65 years Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people they don't know in 722 they're getting ready to be 11 years in 11 years they're going to be taken away to Assyria, and in 65 years they're going to be too shattered they can't even come back together The the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramayu's son. And then God's word leaped off the page and spoke to the spirit within me. And then the spirit within me said, tell the church this. If you do not stand firm in your what, saints? If you do not stand firm in your what, saints? You will not stand at all. Did you hear the word of the Lord? You will not stand at all if you do not stand firm. There is a battle. Your enemy, your your battle is not against Satan. He is a defeated foe. Why do we give him a voice? Why do we give other defeated foes voices? But we do have a foe that rides within us and rises up within us and it is the battle of unbelief and our faith is constantly being battled and tested and the enemy, Satan himself, would love nothing less for our faith to decrease because when your faith decreases, so does your love and trust for the Lord. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, that's the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, and again, Ahaz does wrong here. The men of God said, God said, ask for it. He's like, I don't wanna give test God a sign, here we go. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans Uh uh-oh now you're now you're testing the lord's patience will you try the patience of my god also therefore the lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him what He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. Yes, Jesus did that. Remember, he went outside and was preaching where John the Baptist was. And what was John the Baptist doing? He was eating locusts and honey. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. And over 700 years later, Jesus shows up on the scene. Let's pray. Lord, you called us to fight the good fight of faith. You have called us to battle unbelief. Now teach us how to do it so we can rise up on wings like eagles. We can run and not go weary. We can walk and not faint, even in the midst of a place that might seem like a wasteland. God, you can do something greater than we can ever do. So I'm asking you to do that today. In Jesus' name, we all said what? amen. Here's the notes. It's on SummitCharleston.com. It's on Summit Church's Facebook under Summit Church. So you go there, look at the notes. Here we go. Number one, and I believe that we're going to have to do this today. And I'm going to ask you to come and spend time with Jesus. If you're physically able, I want us to spend time. This is, I, I, I mean, for these next couple of weeks, we are going to battle unbelief and what the Bible says, how to fight it, what to do with it, and how great Jesus is. The first stake in the ground is this, is to stand firm in your faith means always trusting in God's sovereignty. Always trusting in God's sovereignty. If you go back and you look at these passage and you see, look at verse 7. After all this stuff is going down and Ahaz thinks he's done as a king. He's already had two defeats. He's got these two big armies come against him and one of them are his brothers He says this, verse 7, the prophet speaking the word of the Lord. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. Here's how you battle unbelief. You trust that God is in control when we're not. And by the way, can I just add this? Are we ever in control? I mean, let's be honest. Are we ever in control? Are we ever in control of our bodies? I mean, yeah, we woke up today and, and a lot of us have good health. But who's to say that something is not within us that's destroying our bodies that we don't know about? We don't know what tomorrow. We've got to trust the sovereign God that he is in control. And then looks what he says. It will not take place. It will not happen. Go down to verse 9. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And the Spirit told me, John, if you don't stand firm, if Summit doesn't stand firm, we will not stand at all. You don't go into a football season thinking, well, we might You you go in with the confidence saying, I will. And see, when the Lord says something, we can say, I will. We can't say, I might or I will try. No, God will do it even when we can't do anything. That means He gets all the glory. We've got to trust in God's sovereignty. The word stand firm in Hebrew means this, and you can write it down, write it in your Bible. It means to confirm, it means to support your faith supports you in what you do your faith supports you it brings us confirmation within it i love what the the new american standard says in uh, isaiah chapter 7 verse 9 it says this the last part of the verse says if you will not believe you surely will not last Listen, if you don't believe in a marriage, it won't last. If you don't believe that God's called you to hear, it won't last. If you don't believe that you're in it to win it in whatever sport or what job or with your family, it won't last. It will not last. If we do not stand firm in our faith, we will not last. And faith is not a work that keeps us safe. I'm not saying that. But faith, standing firm in our faith is when we get to see the power of God move in our lives. What do I mean by sovereignty? What do I mean, what is this big, fancy theological word? It really means this, that God is in control. Even though Ahaz had been defeated twice, even though he had been defeated twice, all of a sudden a word from God says, trust that God is in control. And the Spirit might be saying to you today, trust that God's in control. Trust Him. Trust Him. No, regardless of what's going on in your life, trust Him. How else would King Ahaz be able to follow verse 4? Go back at verse 4. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. Because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, which is kind of like an insult. They're not as big as what they think they are. See, when God is bigger, everybody else gets... And when God is bigger, our challenges get smaller. Because we got to remember that we have the God over the challenge. That's the beauty of it. My conviction, I love what Piper said, is that unbelief in the promises of God is the root that sustains the life of sins. Let me read it again. My conviction is that unbelief in the promises of God is the root that sustains all life of sins. The more I believe in God, the less I give authority to the sin in my life. I believe that God can overcome it, that I'm not just this weak vessel that is destined to be sitting in, in, in some type of a powerless situation. Yes, God will put us in weak situations, but he puts us in those situations so that he can be strong, so our faith should increase. We should boast about how big God is, the weaker we get. In fact, we should always do that. For us, all of God's promises are summed up in Jesus, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, for no matter how many promises God God has made, they are yes in Christ. I ask God for stuff almost on a daily basis and I will say this in my prayer. I will say, God, you promised this and all your promises are summed up in Jesus. So I'm asking it in Jesus' name. I'm using this passage. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So when we say amen we're saying yes to what God has asking us to do. When we look to Jesus, he reminds us that God will do what he says. Second Corinthians 1, 21 through 22 continues on. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm, or excuse me, stand firm in Christ. He has, uh, excuse me, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God is going to do what he says he's going to do. It is our job to to trust in the sovereignty of God. Listen, if you get stuck at a stoplight and the stoplight turns yellow and then turns red and you're mad because you're trying to rush and that stoplight kept you from getting hit by a car at the next intersection, would you be thankful? If your alarm goes off and your phone goes off in the middle of the night and you forgot to turn it off and you're struggling to go back to sleep, but yet because it got you up, you smelled the smoke downstairs, would you be thankful that God allowed that? You know, sometimes, sometimes the, the interruptions in life is God speaking to us. Sometimes he, he, he's stepping back and, and our impatient wants to be mad at God and say, but God, I'm just tired of being in this situation or I'm tired of being single or I'm tired of this. You know, sometimes we want to step back and, and, and just say, God, why is that when God could be protecting and delivering us from something we don't even know? See, when we respond with the amen, the Holy Spirit, our guarantee is working in us to believe in God's promise. So some of us today, your prayer needs to be this. Yes, God, I'm going to say amen to what you're saying. Even though I don't understand it, I'm going to trust in the sovereignty of God. Fight today to trust that God is in control. He's in control of your family, your friends, your situation, your future, your finances, your career. Fight. Fight. You've got a sick grandparent or you've got a sick grandchild. Fight for God's sovereignty fight in your heart for it because Satan would love nothing for you to resurrect that dead nothing and believe it and let circumstances dictate your life if circumstances dictate your life then why don't you become a fatalist Why don't you just say, whatever happens is going to happen. No, nothing happens unless God allows it to happen. And I believe that and I will die on that. And whatever happens in our lives, God is asking us to fight, fight, fight. Here is the victory over doubt and shame and fruitlessness. Here is where the bondage of sin is broken. When we say yes to the promise of God. This scripture has been given to us, God-breathed, full of promises for us to believe. And when we doubt, we say, God, Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise, so you will do it because there's a Jesus. I told y'all, just like my 12-year-old son, Josh, said, Dad, how do I know there's a God? Without even blinking an eye, turn around because I can prove there's a Jesus. That is how you know. Number two, here's your second stake in the ground. Your second stake in the ground. We must fight to stand firm or we will not stand firm at all. We must fight for faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We have to fight to believe. Some of us have to fight today to believe that God is sovereign. That's number one. That's your first stake. But number two, some of us have to today that to fight to even believe that faith is real. That I can really have faith in God in this situation. I am not asking you to have blind faith today. I'm not asking you to have blind faith as if you had an imaginary friend. Jesus is not your imaginary friend. The Holy Spirit is not an imaginary friend. We are not Yoda. He is not the force. You're not going to put your hand out and all of a sudden people are going to start choking Darth Vader. It's not going to happen. He's not an imaginary friend. He's not a force. He is a person with emotions. When I mean person, I don't mean flesh and bones when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, but I'm talking about he does have some personal attributes. We can grieve the Spirit of God. He does feel... And so I'm not asking you to believe in an imaginary friend. This is God who has stood the test of time. Do you guys realize today, and ladies realize, that the Bible has been the most cut up, has been the most written about book of all time? I love when people say, who don't believe in God, say how educated they are, yet they've never read this book from page, from cover to cover. How can they read, the, how can they say they're educated when this is the Most published book of all time. And they call themselves an erudite. They call themselves a intelligentsia. They call themselves something special. And yet they don't even know the Bible. When I was in my second master's theological program, I'd been in three master's programs, but it was my, one was secular at temple. And then my second one in seminary at that seminary, I remember studying patristics. I specialized in 8100, 8450. I specialized in Catholicism, specialized in that. That was my heartbeat, my heart cry. I, I just wanted to know the founding fathers. I wanted to know what they did right after the apostles. I wanted to know what was going on in the church and everything like that, and I want you to know today That I could stop right now and for every day, seven days a week, eight hours a day, I could read if God would allow me and so graciously live to be a hundred. I could read for the rest of my life and I would never get through all the material that's been written about this. Never even get through it. Never even come close. That's how much has been written just during 8100 to 450. People have tried to cut this book up. We're not talking about imaginary friend. I love when people ask this question. I love as this one guy said, can you demonstrate without using the Bible that God exists? How many times have we heard that? Right? Hey, well, why don't you demonstrate uh, using the Bible with, um, uh, excuse me, why don't you demonstrate that God exists without using the Bible? And see, th- there's a problem with that. The problem with that is that that we we turn to the Bible because we believe that this is the inspired Word of God, don't we? Second uh, Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is God, what, breathe. All Scriptures God breathe. We believe that this is our our sole authority. Or as Martin Luther said in the fifteen hundreds, who started the Protestant Reformation, "Sola Scriptura." or Latin for scripture alone. We believe that this is the authority. So when people ask us to do that, they're they're, they're trying to undermine us and and say those things. Let's just spin it around. Let's think about the question for a moment. When they say, hey, here's what I want you to do. Prove to me that there's a God without using the Bible. Think about their question and spin it and ask them this. Marcus, you'll like this from apologetics. Robbie, you'll like this from apologetics. Why don't you ask them this? let's ask them the same thing that they are asking us since reason is their ultimate authority why don't we ask them this tell me how your reasoning is valid but don't use reason one person got it that's real good isn't it tell me how your reasoning is valid that there's no god but don't use reason tell me prove this is god without scripture well, first of all, okay, let's just start with Scripture. And Romans chapter 1, it says that we worship everything, don't we? Because people, like, we, we worship everything. We, we, pe- people are created to worship. We see that in the hearts of people, that they were created to worship. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20. This is not a blind faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, and here's his invisible qualities, the Bible declares them his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So here's what I can do. I don't even have to use the Bible to show people that the heavens declare that there's a God. General revelation in Psalm 14, uh, uh, I, 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 I going to Romans chapter one. I can say here we can say that even all the heavens declare that there's a God. Why is it there is a spring every year? Why does the sun turn? Why does the earth turn? Why is there orbits? Why are there galaxies? Why are there multi Why are all this stuff happening? There's something bigger than us, and even the heavens declare that there's something bigger than us. But let me just use, if you, you listen, because we're created to worship, and people don't want to worship God, so what they do is they start worshiping themselves. They start worshiping what they like, and that's why he says men exchange, you know, relations uh, for women and turn them on other men, and, and they, they start being inflamed in their own lust, and they, they, they turn their bodies over. I mean, all this stuff. And so what happens, people are meant to worship. Lions don't worship like we do. Chimps don't worship like we do. I mean, we can look and see the heavens declare, but let's just, let me just go, Marcus, if you guys will give me this, and Robbie, just, let me just take you just to one little apologetic because I want to give you something today to fight for your faith. Can you prove that there's a God without a Bible? Let me tell you what Robbie Zacharias would say. You could take the earth and you could dissect it down to the smallest atom, and the smallest atom, how it came about. Which means this: if the natural can't define the natural, there must be something spiritual that made the natural. No, no, you didn't hear me. You can dissect it down all the way to the bottom, but there's some non-physical cause that caused something physical. Physics doesn't have an answer. Astronomy doesn't have an answer. They don't have an answer for them to break down the smallest molecule in the universe how it came about. They don't have an answer for dark matter. We don't, people don't know. So that's the next thing. So the physical cannot explain itself. Then here's the second thing, when you take the physical matter and you break it down to its smallest point, like for example, take an enzyme. Let's just look at an enzyme. The enzyme inside the human body, it's the, as Ravi Zacharias said, it's the building block of the gene and the gene is the building block of the cell look at the enzyme the enzyme has its own language does it not hello does it not have its own language listen to this statistic this is by one of the math professors at cardiff in wales he says the the chance for the enzyme to make itself is one times ten to the forty thousandth power that's more than the atoms in the universe Oh, but here's what an atheist will say. Well, if you give it enough time, it'll just happen. Mathematically, for an enzyme to happen without a creation, the mathematical possibility is zero. Time cannot create itself. We don't have a faith that just, that's just, it's a blind faith. I'm not asking you to walk off a cliff, Indiana Jones. I'm not asking you in blind faith. I'm asking you today to step into the reality and surrender yourself to Jesus. So the physical cannot explain itself. The intelligibility of it has to be explained, that there has to be a first cause or there, there's a mind behind it. And then there's something interesting within these enzymes. As they progressed, as these enzymes have progressed into animals and human beings, there's morality. Where did that come from? So if you take a first cause that has to be spiritual because physical can't define how it came about, then there's intellectual ability to this, to this uh, material world. So there has to be a mind behind it. And then there, there's morality. The only answer is that there's a God. And by the way, I just used, I just used men's natural law to show you there's a God without using the Bible. See, it's very easy to break that stuff down, but the problem is people don't believe it. And then I want to go to the third stake, and this is it. The third stake in the ground is that if we don't stand firm in our faith, if we do not stand firm, we will not stand at all. And this is a very important state that you need to nail down is you need a sign now John the Bible says that only a wicked generation seeks a sign only a wicked generation. Yeah, yeah, you're right. In the context of what Jesus was talking about, they were doing nothing but testing Jesus and their hearts were so hard, they weren't even a bigger sign than what was there. So you're exactly right. But God gave us a sign. Let's look back in this passage. Look down there with, with me again in verse 10. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights that Ahaz said, Ahaz said, the king of Judah, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patient of humans? Will you try the patient of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, we use this passage all the time at Christmas, don't we? Hmm? We use it all the time at Christmas. But here's what he says. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel we know means God with us. We know that this passage is a Messianic passage talking about Jesus. Here we have a sign already from God. There's a sign and his name is Jesus. Bring Jesus into your doubt. Bring Jesus into your anxiety. Bring Jesus into your fear because only Jesus can answer verse 4 go back to verse 4 say to him to Ahaz be careful keep calm and don't be afraid only Jesus will answer anxiety in our lives only Jesus will answer fear Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 15 shows us what Jesus does verse 14 it says since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus is the one who destroys all fear. I'm going to ask Robbie and the band to come on up here because I want to drive this point home. They're the ones that answer. Jesus is the only one that answers fear. He's the only one who answers anxiety. Verse 17 says this in Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 17 says, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Talking about Jesus had to be made like us, a human, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. You see what Jesus did for us? We can fight today. We can fight today in our battle Against unbelief. We can fight today. Jesus will calm your fear. Jesus will calm your anxiety. Some of you are here, you're athletes, you already came, and, and you're getting ready for the fall sports, and it's just different. It's just different than home, and there's a lot of. Anxiety, there's a lot of anxiousness. Some of you, you're a senior or whatever. Some of you are, you're a grandparent and you're looking. Some of you are turning your children over. Some of you are are saying, hey, I I just want to get married. Some of you are saying, I don't know about my next job. Let me just say, Jesus is the only answer. We have a sign. There was a virgin born with the very essence of God. Jesus, the only begotten. And he did it because he loved us. First John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Fear has being cast out because of Jesus. And listen, I'm talking to believers in the room. My first call today and our call for faith is to believers. I'm talking to you. You're worried about your son or daughter. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Because he cares for you. Hey, Jesus wants to, wants to help you. He wants to wrap his loving arms around. but you got to fight the unbelief because Satan loves nothing. That dead, defeated foe who's going to be cast into the lake of fire. Satan is no match for God. God is the creator. Satan was the created. Crea- creations can't battle a creator. It's, it's not a fight. It's not a fight. That's why Jesus laid down his life. Satan didn't give him a blow that knocked him out. Jesus laid it down because he's the creator. And the one who created the universe will destroy any doubt, fear, whatever's going on in your heart. And I am convicted by the Lord. The Lord has convicted me as a pastor. We got to spend time in corporate worship because when you're prayed out, somebody else is prayed up. Hello? No, y'all didn't hear me. What I mean by that is this, is if you're at the end of your prayer for a request, somebody has a spiritual gift of faith, and they'll pray over you, and you watch. They'll believe when you stop believing. And by the way, we got Jesus interceding for us in Romans 8, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 13. When we're faithless, he is faithful. When you're faithless and sin abounds in your life, I just want you to know the king is already faithful. He's already sealed your fate to be with him forever, and you can't earn your salvation, and you can't make it happen because he's already done it. What about in verse 4 of Isaiah 7, when he says, Don't lose heart. Jesus is the one who answers to despair. And I close with this 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Don't give up on the calling that God's called you. I don't know where God's called me, John. Well, I can tell you what I do know, He's called you here. You're here. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good pleasure. You didn't come here today because of you. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Verse 2, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 16, therefore do not lose heart. You struggling at that work? He's just like, God, you've got me in this waiting room and I'm I'm tapped out. Don't lose heart. God is sovereign. Fight for your faith. It's not an imaginary friend. He is real and he's alive and we have to fight when we come down here and we get on our face and for the Lord and we say, God, help my unbelief. God, I believe even though I am doubting and I am struggling, Jesus did not condemn John the Baptist when he doubted. No, Jesus built him up. There is no greater man born under woman. This is why, don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. See the fight for faith? For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that was my prayer and is my prayer for us today. So I don't know how you need to fight. In the sense of what you need to fight for. But I can tell you this. There's a God whose eyes and ears are here. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whom he may strongly support his heart. It's completely his. How do you want to respond today? What do you need to fight for? Your family? Someone in your family doesn't know Jesus? Marriage? Job? Future? Future? Academics, your team, yourself, your heart. What is it? Finan- what is it? God is calling us. If we do not stand firm in our faith, we will not stand at all. Let's pray. Father, I pray people will move forward and come and kneel or lie down on their face or sit or whatever it is, right now as I am praying that they would, they would not hesitate and that there would be some prayer warriors in this room that would come forward and they would begin to pray over people and anoint people and stand in the gap, God, that you called us to fight for our faith, fight the good fight of faith, Paul said for us to do it, you're calling us to battle unbelief, where are we struggling to believe, what are we struggling to believe, God, today you want to call us into an answer, call us into victory, call us into pressing on. We press on. We move forward. We move forward because the God of the universe is in control. And this is not a blind faith, Lord. This is not a faith and imaginary friend. We believe in the resurrected Jesus. We believe that he is alive and well. We believe that he is coming back. And everything that happens on this earth, he is in control of and he is in charge of. And even when it seems that sin abounds, grace abounds even more so. God, we call upon you today to heal marriages, to heal families. To heal, to heal people that are sick Lord, to raise people up Lord, to give us answers To move mighty on teams To move mighty in our lives To move mighty in the dorms To move mighty in our jobs In our houses To move mighty in our, in our workforce God, we call you today to move We will stand and believe When nobody else will We might be the only ones in our jobs Or in our families But we're going to stand Put our stake in the ground that Jesus is greater than any number. And Lord, I want to pray for some people in this room today that maybe have not received you and surrender their life to you. I'm not asking, Lord, for them to accept you. I'm not asking you today for them to ask you to come into their heart. I'm asking, Lord, if they're willing to follow you and surrender their lives to Jesus. Surrender. It will be tough, it will be demanding, and it will be fruitful and great. But it will be a fight. But God, there is a victory, in his name is Jesus. So if there's someone today that wants to surrender, pray they'll come and let us know. They can't save themselves can't make themselves right they can't live good enough they can't give enough they can't be kind enough if they could there'd be no need for Jesus he's the only one who can stand in the gap and he is our king help us to stand firm in our faith so that you will be glorified unite us Lord unite us as one church one Lord one faith one baptism